in a moment, 108 million people knew something was very, very wrong. I'd got up from my spot on the couch and I'd headed to the kitchen for another round of queso and chips and a few more buffalo wings. Jacoby Jones had just ran back the longest kickoff return in Super Bowl history, 109 yards. And man, it ignited the Baltimore Ravens to a 26-6 lead over the San Francisco 49ers. The game appeared to be a rout, and so I figured this was probably a good time to get up and get some more grub. However, when I got back to my seat, the game had become a blackout. Incoming power to New Orleans Superdome had ceased, and except for a few lights powered by the backup generators, all of a sudden, Super Bowl 47 was on hold. Terrorism was everybody's first concern. And if not that, possibly a fire causing momentary delay in the game, maybe permanently putting the game on hold. We didn't know. As it turns out, it was neither. A circuit had picked up an irregularity in the electrical current, and it had performed as it was designed to do, and that is shut down all of the massive flow of electricity into the building to prevent a terroristic attack in some form or fashion. When the later power came back on, so did, amazingly, the 49ers. I mean, they made a game of it. But the defense of the Baltimore Ravens was too strong, and they hung on to win 34-31. to Now, I'm guessing, like me, most of you probably had no clue who even won Super Bowl 47 before I mentioned it again today. Maybe you did, but certainly most of us probably didn't remember who lost Super Bowl 47. But I'm almost certain that if you watch Super Bowl 47, you remember the loss of power in that game. Because it was obvious, to say the least, to the world. With that image in your mind, let me ask you a question this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, and if the presence and power of the Holy Spirit ceased to inhabit your life, would you or anybody else notice would that be a game changer for you? If for some reason the Holy Spirit's power was removed from this church, would anybody notice? Or would it be just business as usual? The late A.W. Tozer expressed his concern this way when he wrote, If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would just go on. And nobody would know the difference. I don't know about that. But I wonder if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the first century church, I think probably 95% of what they did would have stopped. And everybody would have known it. And my question would be, would that be true for us? Church, when you read through the New Testament and the life of the early church, do you see what I see? And that is that they were utterly dependent on the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. To be brought into a relationship with Jesus required the Spirit. To live a life that represented Jesus to the world required the Spirit. To fulfill the mission of Jesus required the Spirit, if you read the New Testament. No Holy Spirit, no church. No Holy Spirit, no followers of Christ. That's why for the next three weeks we're going to kind of hit granny gear here in our John series. 
call it a mini-series within this series, but we need to talk extensively about the one person Jesus talked about almost exclusively in the last hours of his life. Here's the question that I'm going to ask you specifically to wrestle with this week. If the Holy Spirit were to leave, would anybody notice? If the Holy Spirit were to leave, would anybody notice? With the Holy Spirit as my helper, I promise you, my hope is for the next three weeks that you'll not only hear about this third person of the Trinity, but you'll welcome him to be your comforter, your advocate, and your friend. You see, learning about him is one thing, but encountering him is something altogether different. Because only in encountering him do you get to know him better, and that relationship he hopes to have with you actually begins to deepen and widen and have more meaning than it could have without him. Now, the name of the miniseries I'm simply calling Wind and Fire. That's not my clever description of the Holy Spirit. Actually, that's just the scripture's images trying to describe the indescribable. We're going to talk about fire next week, but what I want to do this morning is talk about wind. Everybody say wind. Okay. In the Old Testament, if you would have said that word, it would have been ruach. That's the Hebrew word for wind. In the New Testament, if you would have said that word, it would have been pneuma. That's what the New Testament was written. It's written in the Greek. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And so you've got ruach in the Old Testament, Hebrew, and you've got pneuma in the New Testament. All words that have as their root, though, one word. Say it with me. Okay, you know where we're going. I'm going to help you with this. Here we go. One more time. Wind. One more time. Anytime I point to you this way, we're talking about what? Here we go. Ruach, pneuma. Old Testament, new. Both mean the same thing, wind or breath of air. He is not a breath of air. The Spirit is not the wind, but he's like them, the Bible says. Images that God knows that we can use analogous to our lives. Remember early on in our study of John's Gospel. Jesus is trying to explain to a religious leader by the name of Nicodemus how the Spirit works in our lives. And wind happens to be his image of choice, his analogy of choice, his metaphor of choice. Here's what he said. The wind blows wherever it pleases. Not talking about anything but the wind. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. Here's the analogy. So it is like with everyone who's born of the Spirit. There's the parallel. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. What is he talking about here? The, there you go. But in talking about the wind, he's trying to make a parallel saying, so it is with everybody who has the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon the first disciples in the waiting room of Jerusalem, the scripture speaks of a sound like a mighty rush of wind. Like it, but not the same as, but like it, that filled the room where the disciples were gathered. Now, why wind? Because wind is one of the few things that's invisible and yet still very, very tangible. Not many things fall into that category, but a few do. You know some of them. Electricity does. Microorganisms do. Bad breath does. Trust me, you may not be able to see any of those, but when they are present, you know they're there. You know it. 
You see their effect. The same is true when it comes to the Holy Spirit. He's invisible, but you can sense him. You can experience him. And you can see a noticeable difference when he's present. But I'm afraid the sad truth is this one whose nature is like the wind tends to make us very uncomfortable for one reason. The wind speaks of unpredictable, and we're not too thrilled about unpredictable. A second reason is the spirit being like wind. It makes us uncomfortable because the spirit's uncontrollable. Wind can't be contained, and we like contained, especially when it comes to God things. Wind can't be controlled, and many of us have control issues. Wind refuses to be caught and boxed up. Wind blows wherever it chooses, and for some of us, that just honestly makes us a little uncomfortable. That's why too often the church can be, if you'll permit me, to be like a beautiful, beautiful sailboat. My good friend Steve Hightower, that we're going to talk a little bit more next week, took Gail and I down to Mexico to do a little sailing on his boat. This morning, I just want to remind you of how a sailboat and the church can sometimes look very much alike. See, much time and money and resources are required to build a beautiful sailboat like you're looking at. And there are those who've seen a sailboat and worked on a sailboat and have read sailboat manuals inside and out. There are those who can dream of sailboats. There are those who go to conferences on sailing. There are those who've read books about famous sailors. And they chart courses for sailboats, and they have a five-year plan for their sailboat, and they determine the safest routes to protect their sailboat. And they've modeled their sailboats after other sailboats, which have been highly successful and also are beautiful. And you know what? None of that's bad. None of that's harmful. But there's only one thing that makes or breaks a sailing expedition. You know what it is? One more time. No wind, no sailing. No sailing. Yes, time and energy and resources are needed to spend on the sailboat. Nobody denies that. But you can't call it sailing without the wind. You can't. And the wind blows wherever it wants to. Try telling that to your five-year plan. The wind doesn't follow your agenda. It follows a higher agenda. You may want to tell that to your safe charted course. The wind's going to blow wherever it wants to blow. It's the job, however, of the sail to catch the wind and receive the wind and to be open to the wind and ride its presence. Now, you want to talk about joy. That's something else. I'm getting ahead of myself from next week. But I'm telling you, riding the wind and the quiet and the power of the wind, amazing. That's how I'm asking God to help me lead anything with his name on it. To have any influence in any life that's in this room here this morning. God, please allow me to lead the church like a sail leads the wind. And the reality is a sail doesn't lead the wind, does it? It receives the wind. It benefits from the wind. It's filled with the wind. But you can't dictate the wind to do anything. <laughs> go dry today. Make it blow harder. Make it go more from a different direction. Make it, make it turn, get softer. <laughs> you can't dictate to the wind anything. But you can 
Prepare for it. Be blessed by its effects. And I so hope that becomes a part of the life of this church, both now and as a legacy for many, many years to come. Here's what I'm actually meaning by that. I want Kaylin May, and I want Cody, and Angelo, and Braden and Lauren, and Audrey, just to name a few of our kids, to remember, of all things, their time here in this place when their sails popped with the wind of the Holy Spirit in them. Now, the world out there may not understand the Holy Spirit, but in their lives, they won't be able to deny the impact it has on their marriages, on their business dealings, on their personalities, on their temperaments, and the way they interact with others with compassion and joy. But my first prayer is that in us, who are not so skinny, and who are not so fully darkened in their hair, or don't have their hair, that they would see our sails pop with the Holy Spirit in us. And the two maybe, just maybe, will be linked. And if they don't see those sails pop in us, maybe, just maybe, they'll think it's not for them either. And one more generation will go by without understanding how they'll say it with me. When leads impacts molds, shapes, is essential to the Lord's church. See, the reality for many of us is that past discussions of the Holy Spirit have led to confusion and conflict, and so we've shied away from them. Which always amazes me, because part of the reality of the Spirit's presence, the Bible says, is unity. Interesting. But too often discussions have led to division and discouragement rather than unity and encouragement. I hope this is how this series is going to be received. The class that Ron Shade is going to be teaching downstairs on Sunday mornings on the Holy Spirit, he hopes will lead to unity and encouragement. Now the aim for both of us is to be absolutely biblical in these series and incredibly practical. How are they going to differ? Well, I'm going to be offering the 30,000 foot level view of the Holy Spirit here in worship on Sundays. But for the next 16 weeks, he downstairs is going to be listening to your questions about the Holy Spirit and hearing discussion about the Holy Spirit. And he's promised to answer all those questions you have about the Holy Spirit as well as he can. I, I was getting there. Because many of you didn't grow up in a tradition where the Holy Spirit was even mentioned, did you? So hearing any talk about him makes you a little suspicious and leery. I want you to know I know that. I'm afraid too often he gets treated like that weird relative that comes to your family reunions. You know the one that I'm talking about, the one that's, uh, how can we say it, just, um, just different. And he's welcome to be there, but not many people talk to him. They acknowledge him, but they don't really visit with him, they don't connect with him. Anybody here have a, a weird relative like that? If they're here today for Labor Day, don't point to them, okay? If you don't have a weird relative like that, would you, would you maybe consider you're the weird relative that's like that? Just, just maybe. What bothers the Holy Spirit in regards to the relationship He wants to have with us is this. We ignore Him. There is one level of rude 
When you're harsh and belittling and mean to a person, we all understand that. But then there's another level of rude, more intense, more ugly, and that is when you ignore a person altogether. And I'm afraid that all too often many of us have been rude to God by ignoring His Holy Spirit. We just ignore Him. But here's the good news. You don't have to. You don't. You can change that reality that's too often present in any church. Now there's another extreme. One's ignoring Him. The other is overemphasizing Him. Some of you grew up where the Holy Spirit was the star of the show. Now, his role is to point us to Christ. That's what he does. But where the church that you were a part of spent most of their time on on the fact he was the star. He was the main attraction. He was center stage. He was the ringmaster. And the result is you're equally uncomfortable about talking about God's Holy Spirit. What a dilemma. When the Holy Spirit is discussed, people tend to wind up in one of two camps. Either they, they're the camp that wants to wear tons of makeup or none at all. As if that's the only choice when it comes to the Holy Spirit. A ton or none. I think there's another option. Somewhere there in the middle. I'm not talking compromise here. I'm just talking about a more scriptural, practical, biblical understandable way somewhere in the middle there and that's where hopefully I hope we go and if I get in the way of that I apologize up front the spirit is not something you put or add on to your life the spirit is somebody you welcome in and walk with in your life I can't emphasize enough that the scripture wants us to relate to and think of the Holy Spirit listen to this word as a person. Okay, before you've been saying wind, right? Now what I need for you to say is this word, person. Here we go. One more time. Person. The Holy Spirit who is wind, God hopes you know as a... And if you think of Him as a force, or worse, a farce, rather than a friend, my prayer is the next few weeks begins to change that in a big, big way. You see, the person of the Holy Spirit is essential for us to understand because He is the key. He is the one responsible for any relationship we can have with Christ. If we're leading ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with Jesus, we have to get this right, or that's impossible. You cannot have... The type of relationship God wants to have with you and you can't have with Him without the Holy Spirit. The Scripture is going to say that, not me. And who better to develop your insight of the Holy Spirit than the one who knows Him better than anybody but God? Jesus. If you've been with us the last three weeks, you know this is the end of His life on earth here in John 16. He's gathered his closest followers for a last meal and some last words. And in those words, knowing the challenges that lay ahead for this ragamuffin crew of his, Jesus tries his best to reassure them that though he has to leave, they will not be left. So he says in John 14, 16, I'm leaving you. 
But I'm going to ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. Now, the world can't accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you. Ah, but he's going to be in you. Now, notice the phrase that I will ask the Father, and he will give you another. Here's why that phrase is important. There are two words that Jesus could have used here in this particular context. He had the choices to use, but he chose to use the word alas. He, used the, he could have used the word heteros, and the word heteros means something that's kind of like in the ballpark of, but not exactly like. It'd be like these two balls I have up here. They're both white, but can you tell what this one is? Ping pong ball. This one is a... They're different though, right? Very different, but they're, they, they're the same. He could have used the word heteros to say, well, they're kind of like the same. Or he could have used the word, which he did, alas. Exactly like the same. Titleist one with the La Hacienda logo on it. Exactly the same. And that's the word that he uses when he says, I got to go, but I'm going to send someone just like me. Through the lens of the Trinity, he's saying, I won't be here in body, but I'll be here, all right? Because I'm sending someone just like me. And he is a, he's not the wind, he's the person. He's like the wind, but he is a person. He's a person. Now, it's important that we understand that he's exactly like that because, and this is where I'm telling you my understanding of the Spirit just jumped. Because as I read about Jesus in here, if they are alas, exactly alike, then I'm reading about what the Holy Spirit would be like in me. Not so fuzzy anymore, is it? I mean, I've got, I've got all kinds of moments when the Spirit is here and, and on the earth and working and moving and, and helping and correcting and rebuking and training because I see Jesus doing all of that. And all of a sudden, that, that made a little bit more sense for me. I, okay, I can, I can get a, a better grip on this Holy Spirit person. Because when we have a grip on Jesus' life, we have a grip on what the Holy Spirit was sent to do. Not just limited to one, but to many. There's a phrase that always bothered me. It was this next one that's going to be in the, on the screen. Go ahead and put that up there, guys. Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Big works now. <laughs> Big works. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I thought, wow, greater than raising people from the dead? Greater than, than helping a lame man walk who's never taken a step in his life? Greater than fill in the blank with all the stuff you know Jesus did? Come on, Lord. I, I don't think that's capable of me. Even with you in me. And, and that greater, that's not just more stupendous or more miraculous. It's more. Bigger as an impact. Bigger as in is how we mold and shape the world. They could only mold and shape just a small portion of the world because God chose to limit himself in one person. But in all of us, this, say the word, person could make a worldwide difference. Oh, that's great. Here's the problem. Our tendency has been to think of the Holy Spirit as a what, not a who. 
We speak of the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he. Just listen to your conversations about it. We relate to the Spirit as a force rather than a friend. And can you see how that might distort having a relationship with Him? A church without moving our understanding down the road, without changing our understanding of the Spirit from an it to a he, is going to make it difficult to understand Him as more than a force and as a friend. I don't know how as a church, collectively, or how as individuals specifically and personally, we can know Him. And you want to know Him because, I didn't write this one up on the screen, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ whom they sent. Know, not just know about, not just be acquainted with, but know. And that's relational. So let's be honest. I think this is part of the discussion about the Holy Spirit that sends some of us just going, yeah, I don't think so. It's hard to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. For starters, anytime you put the word the in front of somebody else's name, the air gets a little bit weird. Uh, I'd like for you to meet the Jeremiah Zastro. I know Jeremiah, but I'm not sure I know the Jeremiah Zastro. I'd like you to meet the Charlie McCormick. I'd like for you to meet, fill in the the with somebody else's name. I'd like for you to meet the Paul McCartney, who's with the Beatles. It just, it just elevates him to a place that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure what that place is. And so when we start with just the word the, that makes things difficult. And then we put the word spirit in there. That one's not easy to get a hold of. And I was just thinking the other day, I'm going to run something by you guys. I was thinking of um, coming up with my own translation of the Bible. I'm calling it the JIV version. Jimmy International version. And here's what I want to do in the Jimmy International because we struggled so long in the church with understanding about the Holy Spirit. I want to change because he's a what? He's a person. I want to change the name of the Holy Spirit to the name of a person. Let's call him Stanley. I'm serious. Let's call him Stanley. And so when Jesus is leaving, it makes a whole lot more sense to the guys. Guys, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send Stanley. Okay, well, let me keep trying here. Okay, uh, if, if that was true, then we would baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and Stanley. There we go. Still not working for you? Okay, but you see, I, we're trying to make that word spirit relational, and it's hard. So let's just own that, okay? It is. You put the word the in there, you put the word spirit in there, and it's hard because our inclination is to relate to the Holy Spirit as a power, instead of a person, and that's hard, relationally. <laughs> and when I was younger, and the version of choice was a King James Version, it was even more difficult, because he was the holy, oh boy, I wanted that in my life. They're creepy. They were creepy then, and they're still creepy now. I didn't want anything to do with the ghost. They scared me, and I think he scared the church. The one he ghosts. So I'm saying it's been a little bit difficult to think about the spirit relationally as a person. One more time, as a that's so important you think of him that way. But listen to me, church, if the Holy Spirit is as necessary to Scripture and it's necessary to a relationship with the Father, as Scripture says he is, let me add one more thing. 
Doesn't it make sense that Satan is going to be working overtime to keep you out of a relationship with him? How's he doing with you? I know what he's been doing with me. If he's the key to establishing a relationship, to helping us represent Christ to a world, to help us fulfill the mission of Christ in the world, he's got to stop our relationship with the Spirit. He has to. But, 1 John 4 says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Now, why will I tend to think of Satan as more of a he than I do the Holy Spirit? Interesting. Because Satan's at work. Okay, Jimmy, run out of time. I bite. How do I begin to relate to the Holy Spirit as a person? First of all, here it is simply. You start thinking of him as a person. You start there. You start thinking of him as a person because you see, a person loves and does, loves and does so with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit does, Romans 15 and verse 30. A person can be insulted. So can the Holy Spirit, Hebrews 10 and verse 29. A person teaches. So does the Spirit, Galatians 5 and verse 18. A person guides. Romans 8 and verse 9 says the Holy Spirit guides as well. A person groans with us in prayer. A person groans with us in prayer, but so does the Holy Spirit, Romans 8 and verse 26. A person hears and speaks and testifies, and so does the Holy Spirit, John 16, 13, and John 15 and verse 26. A person can be lied to. Now this is where, i got to tell you, another level of understanding for me in the Holy Spirit came. Knowing that the Spirit was a person that could be lied to. Not just a force, because you can't lie to a force, but you can lie to a friend. In Acts chapter 2, the first year I was with you, we looked at the Acts of the Holy Spirit in Dr. Luke's history of the early church. And during that series, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. All of us know that's that's not a good story, and it's not. In the early church, they were experiencing this incredible famine, and Ananias and Sapphira saw some members of the church selling in their own pieces of property to help out with the poor in their church. And they, they saw how people respected them and honored them for doing that. And so they decided, we want in on some of that. They went and sold a piece of their property. But you know what? They got more money than they thought they would. I mean, boom, lots of cash in their pocket. And so they decided that they were going to give it all to the church. No. They were going to tell the church they were going to give all, but they were going to pocket a significant portion of that or a portion big mistake. Peter confronts him one day and says, you two lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. Who did they lie to? Holy Spirit. Who is a, you lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. It was your deal. It was your money. You didn't have to do that. But why did you do such a thing? Because, and here's what the verse finishes in verse 4, you were not lying to us but to God. Now notice Peter uses God and the Holy Spirit interchangeably here. And by doing so, he's revealing the divine nature of this Spirit. And he's revealing the personhood of this Spirit. Because he tells the couple, you're misreading what you are guilty of here. You're not just fooling people, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. You can't lie to a force, but you can't lie to a friend. And so if you ask Ananias and Sapphira, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? They would have said, that wasn't our aim. We just wanted to, to fool some people, to impress some people that we were more spiritual than we really are. We didn't mean to try to deceive the Spirit. 
And God announces through Peter, yes, but you did. Now, I don't know how you apply that. But could it be that we also lie to the Holy Spirit when we pretend to be more holy and spiritual than we are? That one stopped me in my tracks this week. That one still gets my attention today. And so if it convicts you, please know it convicted me first. But it didn't stop there. It moved pretty quickly on to gratefulness. Because I started thinking, how merciful are you to me today, God? I deserve to be uh, six feet under because of my hypocrisy and my pretending, my lying. I'm guilty of trying to impress some church people that I know of to get them to think I'm more spiritual than I actually am. How about you? I haven't said it in a while, but I want to stop right here and say, I am no saint except for the blood of Christ. You are no saint except for the blood of Christ. And if there's anything good attached to my name, it's because of the sanctifying power of the Spirit in my life. And you, as we're going to see, have nothing good to put to your name except for the sanctifying power of the Spirit in your life. Without Him, I'm lost. But with His Spirit in me, Oh, baby, I'm sailing. So often it offends the Spirit because we lie to Him. Because we come into a gathering like this and we sing worship songs. All the while our hearts are filled with jealousy for what's given our next door neighbor and not us. God have mercy. Our mouths are filled with blessing in here. But out there they're maliciously berating and belittling our mates and our kids. God have mercy. The faithful, attentive husband that you show others that you are masks the adulterous eyes that you have that linger on websites. No Christian has a right being there. And we wonder why we can't see more improvement in our lives. Where's the passion to reach out for others to help them know that they can have life here? It's because we're lying, listen to me, lying to the Holy Spirit. We may not be dead in the ground like Ananias and fires, but we are walking dead men and women at our office and in our teams and in our homes. So, if Ananias and Sapphira teach us anything, when I sin, I'm not just sinning against the people around me. I am sinning against the one who wants to make his home within me. Because he is a, say it, person. He's a person. The point I want to underscore with today's message is just that and this. You can lie to the Holy Spirit because He's someone. And because you do lie to Him, it grieves Him. A force can't be grieved, but a friend can. I mentioned a few moments ago, but let me explore this aspect. And I've got three minutes left and we'll be out of here. In Ephesians 4.30, Paul warns, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. In the New Living Version, it says, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. Because you can. Now, I don't know how that resonates with you, but knowing the Holy Spirit can be grieved helps me. Think of Him as a person. Because you can't offend something who's not a person. <laughs> I tried. Got out my phone, and I did my best to offend Siri. I'm telling you, I tried. I asked her to tell me a joke, and here's what she said. Why don't koala bears hang around with other bears? She said, because they don't meet the qualifications. Yeah, I told her that. I said, that is so corny, Siri. And that's not your joke even. You've plagiarized somebody else. You're a plagiarist. And that inflection in your voice, it's missing. You need some. 
I mean, you're just monotone all the time. I mean, I gave it to her. And then I got down and dirty and I said, why can't you be more like Alexa? I did my best to try to offend artificial intelligence. Couldn't offend her. I asked her some more random trivia questions. She just answered right away as if nothing hurt her at all. Because listen to me, you can't offend artificial intelligence. But you can offend the Holy Spirit. Because He's a Some of you understand that the more you know and love someone, the more power they have to hurt you, don't they? You're more vulnerable with someone that you admire and care about and open your heart to. And isn't it true that the ones you love and care about the most have hurt you the most? That's called a relationship. They have caused you the most grief and the most sadness. But if you don't know them... And if you don't care about them or you don't love them, then they can say whatever they want. And it might be annoying, but it's not going to hurt you. So when we read here that the Holy Spirit can be grieved and saddened, it speaks to me about how much He knows you. And how much He loves you. And how much He cares about you. It speaks of someone desiring a close relationship with us, not something desiring to give you orders. I didn't offend the artificial intelligence, but I have offended family intelligence. I made a promise to my oldest daughter, Lauren, once to pick her up from work. She was 12 years old. A friend of mine offered her to run his snow cone stand right out in front of his fruit stand, right there by the highway, Highway 70. She made the snow cone. She handled the money, ordered the supplies. I was so proud of her. 12 years old, running her own little business. But I forgot her one day. I was supposed to pick her up at closing. I got busy at Gateway. So she waited, and she waited, and she waited. I was 45 minutes late picking up a 12-year-old girl by Highway 70. Not only was she disappointed, she was scared. When I got in the car, I said, Pumpkin, I'm sorry. She didn't say anything. As I know, I never forgot her again, ever, anywhere. Now, it's not like I never had let Lauren down before. It's not like I'd never failed to live up to an expectation before. But we were forming a relationship. It was going deeper and wider every single day. And the less I wanted to disappoint her by failing and promising, keeping those promises grew every single day. You see, it's one thing to break a promise. It's another thing to break a heart. Amen? Friend, when you break God's commandments, you're not just breaking some rule. You're breaking His heart. This is the difference between religion and relationship. The question is, we're going to end with today is this. What do you want? You want some religion? Check the boxes with? You want a relationship with the living God? You can have the latter. You really can you can break tons of promises to God when all you see are rules you don't understand and really don't like anyway. And you know what? The people around you, they're not keeping them either. But when those expectations come from a God that you're in relationship with, that changes how you respect and relate to those expectations. 
And I, I'm going to say this and we'll wrap it up. God wants to know you personally. Because He is a person. This helps me. Maybe it'll help you. I wake up in the morning and I say, Good morning, Holy Spirit. I want to be a friend to you like you are to me. Please help me say and do what makes me an influence for you. You lead, I'll follow. Almost every day of my life. I'm not perfect at that, but that's how I remember He's a person. Good morning, Holy Spirit. I want to be a friend to you like you're a friend to me. Help me say and do what makes me an influence for you. You lead today, I'll follow. Pop these sails, please. And I'll go wherever you want to go. And some of you are thinking, I don't know that I could pray that. I'm not sure it's legal. I mean, come on, pray into the Holy Spirit. Really? Well, let's go back to Acts chapter 5. I figure if lying to God is like lying to the Spirit, or lying to the Spirit is like lying to God, then I guess if you talk to the Spirit, it's like talking to you can offend one, doesn't it make sense that you can also embrace one the same way? That's just me talking. You take your word and you figure it out. But let's figure it out, church. Because this understanding that the Spirit's a person is a game changer. Don't take my word, take it. Let's stand.